Well, howdy! howdy. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, my name is Ben Stewart. I'm the director of Breakaway Ministries, uh, which meets on the campus of Texas A&M, so I live among the Aggies. Uh, but uh, I'm not going to talk more about A&M. I just wanted to get that out there. But to say that uh, I'm thrilled to be here with you because uh, my wife and I love uh, so many of the leaders of the Austin Stone. It's not that we don't love all of them. Uh, there's just many of them that we've had the privilege of knowing for a long time and deeply and truly love them and love what God is doing through them and love what God is doing in this church. So uh, when I was asked to come today, uh, my first thought was absolutely. That's exactly where I want to be because I love cheering on what God is doing uh, here in Austin through the Stone. So uh, if you've got a Bible, we are in Philippians chapter 1. And uh, let me tell you what I'm going to do. I want to read you a couple verses, starting in verse 27. Uh, we'll pray and then jump in. But if you don't have a Bible, it's going to be on the screen. Philippians 1, starting in verse 27, says this. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you, or remain absent, I will hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. Let me pray for us. God, thanks for a few minutes around your word. I pray you would help us understand what it is that your word is saying and that we could see it, understand it, and then, God, we could care about it, that we could know what you think about us and about the way we're meant to live, and we could love it. We could see it's beautiful this path you've put in front of us to walk. And so I'm asking God that our lives would be different because of these few minutes around your word. I want some lives to to never be the same because of this moment right here. And I can't manufacture that. And the Austin Stone can't create that. What we're asking for is for you, God, to meet with us. And that's a weighty thing. And I just wanna invite you, if you're here and you're willing, Uh, Would you take a second and just ask him yourself, say, God, please teach me something right now. And then if you would, please pray for me that the Lord would use me and I'd be helpful to you. Well, Father, we love you and we trust you. Use this time. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, through the course of my life, I've had the opportunity to spend quite a bit of time with some Navy SEALs, which is interesting because uh, they have great stories. Uh, Because when they're at home training in the States, they do what I think a lot of dudes in this room would love to do on a daily basis. Uh, So while you were at high school learning the finer points of algebra, they were out in a field learning the finer points of how to fire a grenade launcher, Uh, While you were in the office returning phone calls, they were out in the jungle learning how to stalk a guy, right? Uh, 
Uh, I remember hanging out with one guy after he had gotten back from drive fast school, uh, and he was showing me how to take a vehicle up to 90 miles an hour and then make a 90 degree turn by using the handbrake. Uh, and I thought, good, yeah, I'll use that next time I'm late for church or something. <laughs> but I remember there was one weekend where there was two of them and myself that we were at a wedding, so we had a weekend together, and as we were driving around the town, uh, I was driving, and one of them was super talkative, uh, great guy, they're both great guys, one of them talked a bunch, rode shotgun with me, the other one didn't talk to me at all. Um, and he wasn't mean, he just had nothing to say to you. So uh, all weekend, we would visit and we wouldn't. <laughs> Except there was one moment on the drive um, where the, the one was um, commending to me a particular book. He's like, this book is amazing, etc. And as he's saying this, I go, well, man, you know, I'm reading a ton of books right now. I don't know, like, why would I want to read this book? And as soon as I said that, he spoke to me. And he said, it's about the warrior mindset. <laughs> and I said, okay. Now, I know I don't know most of you, but let me just tell you something. If that guy that you've been riding around with all weekend, who's massive, wears all black, and you know could decimate you, begins to speak, you're going to listen to him, okay? And when he's the guy that you remember from when they did that TV show about buds, that's basic underwater demolition seal training, that grueling process to become a seal, on a particular episode about Hell Week, that's with all the punishment without the added comfort of sleep, when you remember that he was the guy that ran past the camera at one moment, smiling, when that guy offers you a window into how that mind operates, you're going to pick it up. You're going to buy the book. And uh, I did. And uh, it was about the warrior mindset. It was about the Spartans. Uh, not the cheerleaders, but the uh, ancient Greek uh, society. And while there's much to not uh, like or emulate about the ancient Spartans, they had two things going for them that were significant. The first is that they were a highly focused society. And for them, it was a focus entirely centralized on warfare to the degree that when you were five years old, they took you out in a field and there were no electives, there were no humanities. Your education was all, here's how to kill a guy, right? That was their deal. And they had perfected a system of combat that would devastate their enemies. Like, I don't know if you've watched movies like uh, Braveheart or something where guys just kind of grab a sword and ah, just kind of run and see how it goes. Spartans wouldn't do that. They would form up in rank, and when the signal was given, the men in back would take their shields and drop it into the lower back of the man in front of them. And in the given moment, they would all begin to run in unison. And the effect was they basically became one singular, massive human battering ram. And so they would just devastate your army. So if you were a Thessalonian or you were an Athenian and you showed up to battle that day, but you saw the Spartans lining up on the other side, you might have brought your sword and spear with you. You put those down. You picked up pen and paper and just started writing out your terms of surrender right there. Here, go ahead and send them all the horses, Bill, your wife. I'm sorry, Bill. They're going to kill us, right? And uh, you would do it because they would they'd kill you, right? Because they had two things going for them that made them unstoppable. They were focused and they were unified. And wherever you have a group of people that are focused and unified, you have a very dangerous crew. And the SEALs are like that. They're very focused men and they travel in packs. And the early church was like that. 
When you read about our first brothers and sisters in the book of Acts, it says they were devoted to the apostles' teachings. They were fixed on the beautiful message of Jesus. And then it said they had everything in common. If you had a need, I'd meet it. They shared everything. And the world could not stop them. One of their detractors said in frustration at one point, these people are turning the world upside down. The entire culture is shifting. Why? Because there's a group of people among us that are focused and they're unified. And wherever you have a focused and unified group of people, you have a very dangerous crew. Now, why am I telling you this? Because this is what the book of Philippians is about. Philippians was written by a guy named Paul. Paul, who had been living his own life, doing whatever he wanted, until he came running face first into the person of Jesus. And he saw the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And he fell absolutely in love with him. The son of God who came for us lived for us, died for us, to move our shame and sin out of the way, to bring us back to God as family, as a community of God. He saw that, heard the gospel, and it changed Paul. He was unapologetically in love with Jesus. And so were the Philippians. And so when he writes to them, he says, you are the fellowship of the gospel. You're the participators in this good news with me. You love them as much as I do. And he says, it's because you're partakers of grace. You know what it is to know you're broken, know you're not okay, and yet have the grace of Jesus come and touch you and heal you and restore you. You know what that's like. And so you are focused along with me on Jesus. You love him. You've seen that he's better than any comfort, any accoutrement. You love him. How do you know you're a Christian? You love Christ. How do you know you've been saved? You cherish the Savior. And he says, Philippians, you're a part of this with me. You're focused on him. They just had one problem. They weren't real unified. They had trouble getting along. Now, I know some of you hear that and you go, Christians that don't get along? Then I uh, don't understand. Um, Just take it by faith. Centuries ago, there were uh, Christians that had trouble getting along with one another. It happened once. It's actually not that uncommon, is it? I mean, churches, denominations fight against each other all the time, don't they? I mean, we see it, I saw it in college. I remember um, there were two Christian men's fraternities that whenever their groups played one another in intramurals, they had to bring out extra referees because they knew there'd be more cussing and more fouls than your typical intramural game. And I know that because I worked with the referees. It's because you're part of a different Christian group. You get a different verse in your shirt. Different's bad, right? (laughs) And we laugh about that, but look at us. I mean, we do that. I mean, how many of you, when someone else is talking about the amazing things God's doing at their church, you can't celebrate with them. You go, oh, that's, yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I guess if you like inauthentic worship, that's a great place for you. And like, (laughs) you just can't celebrate them. Or not even some other church out there. It even happens in here. I mean, let's be honest. Some of us on your way in, you saw that particular person. You were like, suddenly there was something real important over here you had to do. Or you bumped into someone in the hall and you go, when did you start coming here? Why did you start coming here? Um, How's work? Is there a transfer coming up in your future? Like you just, uh, (laughs) even within this community. I mean, sometimes it's just, I mean, it's a personality thing. We just don't get along. Like, I remember I had a buddy in college that would always um, 
Christian brother that would invite me out to lunch and then we would get there and he would have forgotten his wallet. And he would do that, and it was always places that I couldn't afford to go. And I would show up there, and I was so frustrated because I'm like, I can't afford to do this. And not only am I stuck here on a date with you, it's going to be like two hours because he chewed incredibly slowly. And it took him 32 chews before he'd swallow each piece of food. And you're like, how did you know that? Because it counted, and I averaged. (laughs) And he would do it with his mouth open, just... And everything in me was like, swallow, man. It's ready for the next stage. (laughs) But I got to love that guy. And the Bible says that I can't be like Christ without him. That there is something I'm meant to be as a man and you're meant to be as a woman. You can't be without us. That's what Ephesians says, that God gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be teachers, that we might all be built up into the head who is Christ. I can't look like Christ without you. And you can't look like Christ without her. He's rigged it that way. That we come into the family individually, but we grow as a community. And that's all. And so here Paul writes to them about the beauties of the gospel and what it is to know Christ. But then as he steps in, he says, but we've got to get something straight. You've got to work out your salvation in a sense, not of earning salvation, but as we live into it, we live into living in a manner worthy of God. And it's all the context of unity. So he says in verse 21, only. He says, it's like he puts up one finger. I just want one thing from you, Christian. And he says, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And that conduct yourself in a manner worthy, it's one word in the original uh, language. It's the word polituiste. And it, in a wooden uh, way, means to conduct yourself as a citizen of a place. To discharge the duties of a citizen of a place. And it's built off the word polis, which means city. And you go, why does this matter? Well, this is the only book of the Bible that mentions it. And it's mentioned to the Philippians because it was something significant that they would have keyed off on. Because the truth was back then, the the thing you identified with more than anything else was your polis, your city. It wasn't your interest groups or where you worked or things like that. Like your sense of identity came from your city. So much so that one writer said, a man without a city is not a man. And the Philippians were very proud of their city. Because in 42 BC, when Antony's army defeated Brutus and Cassius, you know, Brutus who killed Caesar, really happened. Antony's army went out to war against them and fought so bravely, so powerfully, so successfully that their leadership awarded them a city, Philippi, and gave them all the benefits of citizenship of Rome, which were many, like not paying taxes ever. And so even though they were nowhere near Rome, Philippi became a military colony. Your ancestors fought so bravely. You have a new citizenship as a part of this place with all the benefits of it. You have this wonderful experience because you're a part of this city. So when you told the Philippian to pull a tuiste, to act like the citizen of a place, something came out of them. Because they just loved being Philippian. It'd be like if I came in here and said, hey, is anybody in here a cowboy? Some of you that really resonate with that, what would you, you'd instantly go, right here, right? <laughs> Maybe make sure your belt buckle's showing, be like, yeah, we got 30 head of cattle, right? And you, uh, you just start naturally taking on the characteristics of this community you want to be a part of. Or if I said, hey, anybody in here play football? A couple of you would go, yeah. And you don't just say, yeah, you well, like maybe flex a trap, be like, yeah, right here. Let me do it. <laughs> I was a linebacker in middle school, right? You, and, uh, you just do it. 
Or if I say, anybody in here in a band? You're not going to flex if you're in a band. You're just kind of like, what's up, dude? Yeah, I play. You know, you can't be too excited. You're not like, I, I play the bass. Right? No, it's got to be like, what's up, dog? Play a little bit, right? You just naturally take on the characteristics of the thing you want to be associated with. So he says, Politeuiste, and they think of the people that fought with honor, with bravery, with courage, that purchased for us these wonderful places we now stand. And they thought, yeah, I want to live into that. I want to embody that. I want to be a part of that. And he says, yes, Politeuiste, not as a Philippian, but as a member of Christ, that he's the hero that fought for you. He beat back the darkness. He pushed back your shame. He buried your guilt. He forgave your sin. He bought you a place in the family of God. Your citizenship is in heaven, is what it says in Philippians 3. You're a part of this community of Jesus. I want you to step into that. I want you to live in that. Live in a way that's worthy of him, the one who fought for you and bought you and adopted you. Live into that. Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of Christ. And you go, what does that look like? That sounds so big. Just live in a way worthy of everything Jesus accomplished. What does that mean? Well, as you look at the context of Philippi, it's all worked out in the context of community. You want to honor him? You love us. You love the people he fought for and lived for and died for. How do you honor him? You love his people. I mean, it would be like... um, if you are just trying to figure out how do I encourage Ben, like I really want to encourage Ben, what would I do? Uh, it's an easy answer. You would be nice to my kids. I've got two little girls. and You'd be sweet to them. You'd be kind to them. Right? I mean, it would be weird if you came up to me and were like, hey, Ben, dude, I just love you, man. Like, I just think you're the coolest guy. Like, I want to get to know you. I want to hang out with you, dude. I just want to go where you are. I want to be a part of what you're doing, but I just got to get this out of the way. I can't stand your kids, man. Like, uh, your little two-year-old daughter just makes me, can't even look at her. Like, just get her away from me. Like, you and me, we're cool, dog. I just can't stand her, right? Like, what am I going to say? Yeah, she does kind of suck. Like, is that? (laughs) There's no separation. Even if she's being difficult, she's still mine, and I love her. There's no distance between us. To love me is to love her. To love her is to honor me. There's no distance. How weird is it to sing praises to Jesus and be disrespectful to somebody in this place? It's weird. I, I just, it, that doesn't make sense. He says, you want to live in a way that's worthy of me. You love the people I fought for and lived for and died for and rose for and bought and adopted. You love us. And so how do I live in a manner worthy of the gospel? It's by living in the context of community. And let me tell you something, we need each other. He says, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit. I want you to be one, and we need to be one so we can stand. That word stand firm is the idea of feet planted so as to offer resistance. The Spartans had a saying back then that my sword is for my enemy, my shield is for my brother. The way the shields were built, it would cover the man next to you. So that weaker armies, as they got closer to battle, would lean in to get more coverage and leave other brothers exposed. A Spartan would never do that. That as I plant my feet and danger comes at us, I will stay planted firm so I can protect you and you and you can protect me. We need each other so we can stand against the onslaught of a difficult world. And let me just be honest with you. Some of you, you maybe have been going to church all your life, but you are completely ineffective for the purposes of Jesus. Because when you go out into the world and face some of the difficult things and hard things and dark things, you go out there alone. 
and in the secret places and in the quiet places. It's not the praises of Jesus that echo through your heart and mind. But your depression is tearing you apart. Or lust is completely lifting you off your feet. And you're in some dark things that dominate your story. And you go, you know what, Ben? I don't want to talk to people about this. I don't want the community to know about this. You can pray for my sick uncle or something, but I'm not going to tell you about the thing that's really dominating me and stealing life from me. I'll do that on my own. I'll be David. I mean, David beat Goliath by himself. This problem, this addiction, this brokenness, I'll handle that. I don't need you people. I'll do it on my own. I'll be like David when he killed Goliath. Well, let me say this. Yes, David did kill Goliath by himself, but keep reading. Because in 2 Samuel, David's out in a battle, and what happens? He gets tired. And when he gets wearied, a descendant of the giant pins David down and is about to kill him, has a new sword for the occasion, and it took Abishai to step in and save David's life. And some of you, that thing that is demonstrably owning you, you can beat it for a night or two nights or three. But when you're weary and you're discouraged, weariness plus opportunity equals failure. And you've just lived there for too long. For too long. And it's time for that to stop now. And some of you, you ask God for forgiveness, to forgive you of your sin. And let me tell you something. He does. He does. You ask him for forgiveness, it's yours. But you're not free because you need us for that. James 5.16 says, confess your sins one to another. Pray for one another that you might be healed. You want freedom from some of these things in your life? God's given you a solution and it's called us. Some of you, the most godly thing you'll do this summer is not sing another song. It would be to ask God to show you a godly, mature set of believers that you can stand with, that you can stand with. So I remember I had students in my ministry when I was a youth pastor. I remember these two sweet kids. Both of them came to me individually that were wrestling with depression and it would just, it would sink them so much. It just was stealing them from us. And I'll never forget the day I had them all in a small group. And and it was finally, I guess, one of them just had enough of just struggling in the dark alone. And I just remember he looked up in front of his peers, high school kid, the other high school guys, and goes, I just need to let you guys know I struggle with depression, and it really gets me sometimes. He said, and I can't even go to school. I can't function because it gets dark. And he put that out there, and I'll never forget one of the other guys across the room leaned forward and looked at him and said, me too. Me too. And they began to pray for one another and encourage one another. And it's not like it all got fixed in that moment, but let me tell you something. As time went by, I remember one of them would come and he would sit next to me at the early service at church. And he would sit next to me and he would always slip out a little bit early. And he would always slip out a little early and then kind of look back and smile at me because he knew that I knew where he was going. That he would slip out early and drive around town and pick up all his little theater friends to bring them back to the second service. And he would smile at me because he knew that I knew that he was going to put like 20 of them in this little tiny car, which is very stressful for me as a minister. uh, Because I'm like, I don't even want to know how you do that. It's so unsafe. And they would pull up and it was just like a little clown car, all these thespians just rolling out of this car. And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't want to know how you're doing this. But I remember looking at that and going, man, a year ago, the dominant theme of your story was darkness and sadness. The dominant theme of your story now is you're being a part of shining the light into other people's lives. And it wouldn't have happened without us. 
God's gift to us is the body of Christ. It's us. And some of you, you just need to come to us. I remember I had a student come to me and he just said, man, I'm locked up in some things I can't get out of. And I said, what is it? And he says, it's pornography for me. I said, where does it get you? And he says, alone at night on my computer in my bedroom. I can't stop. I said, well, get it out of there. Romans says, make no provision for the flesh. That's a provision. He said, I can't. What do you mean you can't? He said, well, my mom put it there. If I move it, she can ask me. I don't want to be like, there's a little porn addiction, mom. No big deal. He said, I'm just not ready for that conversation. I said, well, you got to do something, man. So he would unplug it, but then he could just plug it right back in. He'd put a password on it, but then he could just take it back off. And so finally, I just quit talking about that with him. I just talked about the beauties of Jesus and what it is to walk with him. And I'll never forget the day he came in my office. It wasn't our scheduled time. And he just walked in and he held up an internet cord. And he said, here. He said, it's not going to own me anymore. And he left. Next day, his best friend walked in my office. Heard you're collecting these. <laughs> See you later. And he left. And those two kids began to pray for one another. And let me tell you something. The second largest constituency of people at our church at that time came from their high school, which was nowhere near our church. Why? It wasn't because they went back and started hitting them all with Bibles, like, repent. That wasn't it. (laughs) But people began to come to them and say, what's different about you? You seem happier. You seem lighter. And they would say, it's Christ. Like he really does set people free. It's not just propositionally one day in heaven maybe. It's that I'm actually seeing him change my life and he does. And some of you, the most Christian thing you'll do right now is you'll pray, God, please show me some godly, mature believers I can stand with. I can stand. But the truth is, that's not the end of it. Christianity is not a group of people banding together to try to keep all that sin off of us. We've got a mission too. We've got something to get out, a message to let the world know. It's a hurting world that needs to know the son of God came for you to rescue you, redeem you. They need to know that. And so he says, we stand firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. That word striving together is soon athlontes. It's where we get the word athlete. We strive together this way, not strive together this way. But we can do this, can't we? I mean, I'll tell you what we're like sometimes, even in our little Christian circles. We're like, uh, uh, when I used to go jogging with a buddy in college, maybe some of you did this. You go out there and you're like, hey man, let's just take it like half speed. And you get out there and what happens? You're totally fine. And then he just gets a little ahead of you. And something in you goes, oh no, son. And I'm fine running with you just as long as I'm a little further. And so he gets a little further, I get a little bit. And by the end of it, you're in a dead sprint. Just <laughs> get done. You're like, what were, what were we doing? It didn't make any sense. And some of you are like, oh yeah, I want to be in a Christian community just as long as I'm cuter than all of them, you know, or uh, smarter than them or funnier. And if someone comes along that's the funny guy, but you're the funny guy, you're like, I hate that guy. You know, and uh, we just go to war against each other. You know, we're like, I I remember I had a buddy um, work at a video game company and he was like, hey, demo this game for me or with me. And so we did it and it was like... uh, were these guys on a mission to go save these hostages, you know? And so I got my little guy and he kind of runs up and hides and I'm like, all right, man, let's go, you know? And then all of a sudden on my guy's little screen, it just goes, sky, grass, and then I can't move him. And I'm like, what's going on with this? And he goes, uh, I think I just shot you in the back of the head. <laughs> and I said, yeah, we're not, we're not gonna get there. 
if we keep doing this. And it's the same with us. How do churches die? How do churches die? There's dead churches all over the city. And what I mean by that is there's still a building there and there's still people there that matter to God, but that sense of passion that God can really change our neighborhood and the frequency of stories of people's lives being set free and set loose of some addictions and brokenness, that story's not the dominant theme. There's churches that the lights went out a long time ago. How do churches die? They don't get planted that way. You know that, right? They don't gather around a group of people and go, do you want to plant a church? I guess. They don't start like that. They all start like this. They all start with, we believe God is doing something. We believe God wants to do something in our city. Let's be a part of it. They all start with passion and belief. How do they die? It's because a group of people, one person, a handful of people at the end of services goes, I don't really like that worship leader as much. That speaker I don't think is as good as the other speaker. I don't know why that speaker's there. I don't know. They say to get involved, but they keep doing this. I don't know why they do that that way, but I don't really like that. You know, he always talks like that, and they let that guy lead, and I don't believe in that guy, and I don't like that, or I don't like the way this person's doing that thing. And what happens? Churches begin to die, not because some outside group attacks, but because we just slowly cut ourselves up on the inside. And it can't be that way. It cannot be that way. The gospel is too important for that. And so we're meant to strive together, not here, but here, being a part together of getting this message out. And we need each other. We need each other. I needed Trey when I went to college. I didn't have Christian friends, and I didn't know where to go. And I wasn't a natural extrovert. I don't show up in rooms like this and be like, hey, everyone know me. Like, that's just not me. But I was like, I need to be a part of a community. And so I called this guy. Someone gave me his number. Hey, and we started to... say, let's go hang out. And I remember showing up at his apartment and walking up and Trey was like, hey man, uh, instead of getting coffee, I just thought we would go on campus and, uh, you know, share our faith. And I was like, what? Like, uh, that terrified me. This moment, not so much. One-on-one, totally lost. I'm like, I don't want to do that, you know? And he goes, no, let's just go see if we can get in conversations about God. Let's see what happens. And I was like, no, I'll tell you what's going to happen. So we're going to walk up to him and be like, do you want to talk about God? No, I don't either. And I'm, I'm sorry. And I'm so sorry. I was like, that's what's going to happen. So let's just save everybody the awkwardness and not do this, you know? And he's like, ah, we'll just see how it goes. And he's like, let's just pray together. And I'm like, yeah, God, please get me away from this guy. Like, I don't want to be here. And we went out there. And I remember the first group of guys we walked up to. We walk out there and he goes, hey, we just set aside this hour to talk to people about God. Are you all up for that? And they went, sure. And so Trey went, okay, what do you all believe? And they told us. And they said, what do you believe? He said, we believe Jesus is the son of God, the hope of the world, the hero of our story. And he just began to tell them about Jesus. And he talked for like an hour. And when we were done visiting with them, they were like, hey, we gotta go. We gotta meet some friends for dinner. And they were like, hey, actually, do you guys wanna come? Because they're international students. And they said, we've never heard this before. And I promise you our friends haven't either. And they need to hear this. They said that to us. And I'm sitting there like, is this like a joke? Like what is happening? And we got to go and be a part of one of the most amazing moments of my young life. And I went back that night, and when I read my Bible the next morning, suddenly all these passages of the Bible now applied to me, that I had been a part of a story bigger than me. I had been doing the work of an evangelist. I'd been part of the game. And I never would have been there without Trey. Trey. 
And some of you, there's so much more God's calling you to that you're just not going to do without us. And we need you. Some of you are great at writing notes and we need a note from you. Some of you are great at leading and it's time for you to step in here and lead. Some of you, you're just great teachers and we need you to teach our kids. We need you to be a part of us that we strive together for the sake of the gospel. That's when life gets fun. So I was just out the other day um, at a house uh, near College Station that had just opened and we were out there because it's a home for girls that are under the age of 17 that have been trafficked for sex in the state of Texas. And they're rescued out of some really dark, sad places, but there's no one looking for them. And I was out there because there was a family that said, we'll take them. We'll take these sweet girls. But they didn't have any money. And so someone else in the community says, well, I can't take them, but I can build houses and I will build you a house. And we intersected with them as a breakaway and said, we can't build houses. I don't know how to do that, but I can call some college students to raise some money and we will put furniture in that house and we will give those girls bedrooms that are safe. We stood out there in that lawn. All this collection of Christians from different places, different gifts, different abilities, and we're there, why? To give a home and to give hope in the name of Jesus to the least of these. And I'm out there and like, thank you, God, that you've given us an us. And look what an us can do when we strive together for the faith of the gospel. That's what we're meant to be about, right? So you go, well, how do we get that? Some of you are like, Ben, I want that. You say, I want some friends that pray with me about the hard things and run together to make a difference. I want that. I don't have that. How do I get that? Well, let me just close with this. You stay focused and God will bring unity. That's how you do it. Because maybe you will have to be David. David had to step out and fight Goliath alone. Goliath came charging up, threatening their people. No one would go. David had to step alone. And sometimes for you, you'll have to step out alone. Some of you are here at church alone and you're gonna have to keep coming alone and you're gonna sign up for a small group alone and it'll be super scary and weird and awkward, but you do it anyway. Sometimes you gotta do it alone. But I promise you, you stay focused. And what happened? David stepped out there and killed Goliath, right? And it says two guys were watching in the back. One was Saul and said he hated David. There will be opposition. He said, you're trying to be this and that. And he just was all after him because of his decision to turn over a new leaf religiously or something. But there was a different guy named Jonathan. And do you remember Jonathan's response? It said when he saw David step out in faith to do something for the glory of God, Jonathan went, that's what I'm talking about. Because Jonathan had just done something that crazy a few chapters before. That when a whole garrison of Philistines attacked, Jonathan was like, well, if no one else is going, all right? And he went by himself. And so he sees, I had to step out in the name of the Lord. And I see David stepping out. And he sees him and was like, I love that guy. And it says he went up to David and just started giving him stuff. Gave him like his armor and like his clothes and his weaponry. And was like, I just, you're the best, all right? And they became buddies. And a few chapters later, when David hits the lowest moment of his life, it says Jonathan was there, strengthening his hand in God. You stay focused 
You pursue the Lord, even if you have to go alone. And I promise you, God in his grace will show you people running along next to you. And as you chase him together, we stand and we strive. And the world gets to see the beauty of Jesus through the unity of his people. Let me pray for us. Lord, I want to thank you that at the center of the universe is not a list of rules, that if anybody's here and thinks that, that religion is just try to be a nicer person or something, I just pray they'd hear that is not at all what you're about. The message of the gospel is that we are broken and can't fix us. We are sick and can't heal us. And so the son of God, Jesus Christ, came for us. He stepped into our story. He's our hero. He lived the perfect life we did not and could not. He died the death we deserved, separation from you, God, to bury our sin and shame in the grave. No one has to walk out of here under the weight of condemnation or guilt and shame. Nobody does. You're rewriting stories every day, God. We can have a new story. We can be a part of a new family. We can be forgiven and healed and restored in Jesus. So if there's anybody here that you sense that God's showing you that, your hope does not come in what you can do, but in what Christ did. If that's you, you cry out and say, I want that. If he's forgiving, I want forgiveness. If he's healing, I want healing. If he's adopting, I want to be in his family. Give me the jersey. I want to be on the team. I want to belong to Jesus. I want to be a Christian. If you sense him calling that, you say yes to that. And please tell one of us or tell the person who brought you. God, for others of us, maybe we would say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but my story of of the last weeks or months or maybe even years has been some other broken, sad, dark secret has stolen all of my energy. And it's just time for that to change. And I want you to believe that you can be forgiven. You are forgiven in Christ. But if you want healing, God's remedy is us. And I want to invite you, if that's you, to pray and ask him now. Say, God, would you show me in my mind's eye now godly, mature believers that I can stand with and confess to. Ask him for the courage to sign up to a small group or call somebody and say, we need to get some coffee. And then, God, for those of us who've hung on the periphery of what's been going on here, thank you that 10 years ago a group of people decided to unify with focus on Jesus. And this church that has been such a gift to so many is the result. I pray if we've just lived on the edges, we would change that and say, I'm going to dive into what the community of God is doing and stand with them and strive with them for the sake of Jesus. Throw my little life into this big story and see what God will do. God, I pray you would make Austin Stone a place of great life and great love that the city would change because the people in here love you and love each other so well. Let that be true.